You're listening to Heart of the Hunter. Heart of the Hunter is a serialized swords and sorcery tale brought to you as part of the Coronai Chronicles series on the Bears Grove Bardic Circle podcast. Heart of the Hunter is written, performed, and produced by Sam Chupp. Sam Chupp is a storyteller, game designer, podcaster, and author living in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information about Heart of the Hunter, check out bardcircle.bearsgrove.com. Now, please enjoy Heart of the Hunter. Master Chief Graham Hornsboot of the registered mercenary company called the Hoskins Irregulars chewed on the end of his deer horn pipe and puffed it a little, examining the card in his hand. Outside the Merc Guildhall, the rain of early spring was pouring down, cleaning the filthy cobblestones of the Street of the Swords. Inside, it was business as usual in the jobs booth he'd been afforded. He was thankful for the bright mage-light lanterns in the place and let him see his prospective employees even in the afternoon gloom. I don't know you, he said, looking up at the tall half-loon woman standing before him in line. She had on well-worn leathers, but didn't stand like a soldier. Name's Raven. I've been here all my life, Master Chief. In Blackpool, I mean. I'm friends with Genza the Ratcatcher. You can ask her if... Are you a member in good standing? The Master Chief asked, gesturing at the customs and membership desk across the hall. She looked just barely old enough to join, but you can never tell with the half Lunar Genti. They aged much more slowly, it seemed. Raven grinned. Of the Mercs Guild? Sure. Sure, my, my, my dues are paid up and everything. He considered the parchment card in front of him. Raven, eh? That won't work. We need a real name. He handed it back to the woman. Raven sighed, but took the quill pen from the man and scribed something on the back of the card. Okay, I've written it down, but I'd rather it not get out too far, if you please. Graham took it and examined it, looked over his glasses at her. Look, Missy, I don't care. It's a factor. He'll want it. How did you learn to write Lunar Genti that pretty? I'm sure you ain't a scribe, Graham said, winking. There were two kinds of people who could write that pretty. A scribe or a counterfeiter. Add that to the fact that the woman had the look. That hyper-awareness Graham had come to associate with the underworld of the city. Led him to believe that here was a criminal of sorts wanting to get out of town. She shook her head, flushing at the unwanted attention. No? Imagine that. He considered again. They would need a scout. Someone who could go forward to the caravan, not make noise, and come back to report. She'd make a good one. Well, <sighs> it's your lucky day. Put your chop here, and you're a member of the Hoskins Irregulars, the Master Chief said, handing her a contract. Thank you, Master Chief. You won't regret it. Raven said, grinning. Graham sighed and puffed on his pipe. Everybody says that. I usually do. Next? A tall man, likely from the city-states of Yar, with long blonde hair and a soldier's demeanor, stepped forward. 
His blue eyes shone with excitement, but it was clear that the young man was trying to play it cool. Master Chief, uh, name's Peter Goldpond. I hear you've got danger pay. Graham puffed on his pipe. That's right, Goldpond. You up for something really challenging? A grin split the side of his mouth as he clamped on the pipe. Peter leaned forward and whispered conspiratorially, I hear tell you'd be opening the northern road again. The first to go after the nail raids last summer? Graham spread his hands, his grin growing. You know how it is, can't say. But, uh, maybe so. What do you think? Peter grinned back. Sounds dangerous, Master Chief, but it's good pay, isn't it? Graham nodded. Yep, if you're alive to collect. Peter grinned. And how likely is that? The Master Chief shrugged. The old man says you gotta take a healer. That's how bad it is. Peter's eyebrows both went up. The old man says? Damn. Hoskins must be worried. Iron men don't like to pay extra for anything. The job must be pretty tough. He looked thoughtful, glancing at the job board across the room, each of the hundred or so tiles representing their own employment opportunity in the Merc Guildhall. Not too late to back out, Graham said, sitting back. Peter considered, then shook his head slowly. Now, um, sign me up, Master Chief. I'll take my chances. I need the money. Graham nodded curtly and bent over a portfolio full of scribed parchment. Pulled out a veteran's contract for the man. Don't we all, dear boy, don't we all. Okay, I'll put you in the Sarge's billet, all right? You're likely going to be the only one with real battle experience. That is okay, right? No problem, Master Chief. I'll make do. Thanks. No, Sarge. Thank you. Saves me from having to pay some old war horse who doesn't really want to be there anyway. When's muster, Master Chief? Tomorrow morning at dawn, bright and early. Meet at East Dock and bring everything. Yes, Master Chief. Thank you, sir. Luck, Sarge. Next? The next man in line was swarthy and slight, with a pretty boy demeanor and an easy grace. His silk blouse and fancy pants were threadbare and a little stained, but he managed to affect the air of some displaced nobility all the same. The Master Chief puffed on his pipe. So do we have here? The dark-haired man bowed. My name's Aaron, if it please you, Master Chief. I understand your company heads to the Northlands. Graham nodded and winked. That's be the rumor, but uh, of course the factor won't let me jaw about it. Arryn looked thoughtful, holding his chin. This soon after the winter thaws, the river will be quite high. Graham busied himself with some of the papers in front of him. Aye, it will. Arryn nodded and declaimed in a strong, clear voice. But the river... <laughs> That's the least of your worries. There'll be the nail tongues, and some say, Mad Jack's bandits, and worse. The river road's the only way north to Irontown, and they ain't got no real good since last summer. Isn't that true? Graham nearly swore, but instead just looked up at the man and grinned. If you be well informed, that'll give you. But, uh, as I told the man before you, I can't say the nature of the work. But it's all there on the job card. Danger pay, long round trip, mercantile guarding, 
experienced personnel only. So, what have you got? A lifetime on the road, a quick blade, a sure eye with my Dracon pistol, and knowledge is special of the parts will be passing. But no soldiering. Not as you may think, but I handle myself well in a fight. Any other skills? Tracking? Hunting? I am at one with the forest. Hornboot rolled his eyes. How often have I heard that one? All right, mister, at one with the forest, you're hired. Not because I think you'll be worth a damn, but because there aren't any others waiting in line anymore. Arn turned behind him to look. Ah, well, there is that, <laughs> he said, shrugging and half-smiling, and signed the contract offered him. Muster up at dawn, Graham began. Eastport, uh, of course, Master Chief. I couldn't help but overhear, Arn said, bowing low. I will endeavor to not be late. You'd best not. The old man don't take kindly to them who are late. Better be early than dead. I'll keep that in mind, Master Chief. I thank you. I won't be late. Sneeve's fine smoking herbals was located one block off the Street of the Swords, but well into the midst of what others called the Butcher's Block, a particularly bad part of town. Ostensibly the downwind side of the city, it was known for shady dealings, blood in the streets, and the honorable old master's tender mercies. It was also Peter's destination as he checked the small purse of coins safe in its hidden pocket, which represented his signing bonus for the northbound trip. The bell on the door rung, and an enormous, muscle-bound nail tongue, a half-hyena, half-giant man, he knew as Leonard, greeted him. The shorter, ward-encrusted, plague-ridden human rat, seated on a tall stool behind the counter, was Sneeve himself. The fragrant shop hung with bunches of various herbs and roots, much of which were smoked to produce one recreational effect or another. Puffing on a pipe of red coal, Sneeve tried to take on the air of a high-society Lunargenti fop. "'Well, Goldpon, fancy meeting you here. What is it that I, a humble merchant, can do for you?' "'Cut the crap, Sneeves. Look, it's like this,' Peter began, eyeing Leonard. The giant reached into his boot, pulled out a very sharp-looking pig sticker, and began to clean his nails with it. Oh, no, we are not going to begin another tale of woe, are we, Mr. Goldpond? Sit down, Lenny. I'm sure Mr. Goldpond will only be here a moment. Look, uh, I just got a new job. I, I got paid up front. I was thinking, Peter began. He very wisely hadn't produced the purse just yet. The rat man shook his head and interrupted Peter. Thinking, Mr. Goldpond? Thinking? I think perhaps this is where you err. Thinking's what causes trouble in this. Doing now. That's the ticket. That's the way to play it safe. Doing. Such as paying your father's loan for seed for the family farm in Yaria. Sneeve pointed with the end of his pipe to make his point. I understand, and I really do want to pay it. 
I, I know that he will have a good harvest this planting season and all of this will be over, but, but for now... For now, you're going to tell me that you are going to be late with your payment? Tell the masters, Peter began again. Hold on a moment there. What makes you think some masters have anything to do with this? Sneeve's eyebrows were high, his manner mock offended. Peter rolled his eyes. Everybody knows. Sneeve interrupted again, his pipe stem poking the air. You shouldn't repeat what everybody knows, but nobody is willing to say, Mr. Goldpond. Out loud. In front of the wrong people. It's bad for business. Peter stopped himself, swallowed, sighed. Whatever, look, just understand. You've spent most of the morning attempting to explain what I should understand, Mr. Goldpon, and yet I have demonstrated that I already understand all too well what you are up to, and I am saying that it is not acceptable, not to me or to my factors. Your father took a loan that he knew had a high rate of interest for the use of the money. No doubt your twenty sisters and fifteen brothers will be benefiting from said money even now. Sneeve seemed to think that all Yarian farmers had large families, something Peter often railed against, but today said nothing. And yet he has seen fit to appoint you, Mr. Goldbond, as his factor of fact in this matter. As such, I want the payment, and if you are leaving town on another of your restless wanderings, I would suggest you make payment before you leave. Things can be quite rough on the road. You never know what might happen. Why, Leonard here is nearly beside himself with worry for you, aren't you, Leonard? Leonard wordlessly nodded, his hyena teeth showing as he grinned. Peter swallowed and made a courtesy to them both. Time to cut his losses and get out. I'll I'll take that under advisement. Thank you, Sneeve. Good eve. Good eve, Mr. Goldpond. Goodbye, Sneeve said, his eyes narrowing. The young man left the shop, then, out into the rainy street, and Sneeve turned to his giant companion. Take note, Leonard, I did warn the boy. I must be softening in my old age. The scoffing laughter from the giant was somewhat high-pitched and piercing, and rolled out into the street to follow Peter into the night. Although Raven was a pauper, she owned a hundred little places in the city. There were more hiding places than that, of course, thousands perhaps, but these hundred were hers and hers alone. Everyone knew to leave them be if they stumbled across them because of Raven's bird talon symbol carved or painted there. Ginza had taught her the importance of marking out her territory from an early age on the street. Raven's eyes had long since adjusted to the half-light gloom of the sea streets, lit here and there by mage lights, so she could see the cameo that she held in her hand quite clearly. Her deaf fingers knew its carving well by now. It had been her mother's, until this morning, that is. Her Lunargenti mother ran a petty witch's business in Starmoon District, and was reasonably well off. 
enough to send her daughter to the Temple of Knowledge to learn letters and scribing. So far, however, that training had only paid off to Raven in various counterfeiting jobs. No one had wanted to hire a half-breed scribe when so many native-born Lunargenti were available for the job. The rain fell down hard. The cornice Raven found herself in might be rather breezy, but it was safe enough until the dawn. She shuddered as she remembered the scene in her mother's little star moon shop this morning. Someone had taken issue with her predictions, or her petty curf, herb peddling, or some love spell gone wrong. Tears fell down her cheeks to mix in with the rain. Every part of the scene had led her to believe something else was at play here. The hit had been professionally done, and with one of her very own raven-claw daggers planted firmly in her mother's third eye, right through her skull. As she thought about it, it suddenly hit her. She had an idea who it may be. The Quadong, a gang of Changian thugs who ran the curf trade in the city, had long since taken a dislike to both her and her mother. She was far too good a sneak to talk to herself out loud, but inwardly she questioned why she hadn't gone to somehow make amends with them before now, as her friend Tal had advised her to. If I had gone to make amends, I would be dead now, she thought to herself. I knew I should have recovered my knife from that Changian dog who was following me last week. They took that damn dagger and killed my own mother with it. Bastards. She shivered in more than just the cold and the wet, and shivered with fear. Quadong was part of House Jasmine, the criminal syndicate that very nearly ruled far-off distant Chang. But House Jasmine had a very long arm, and she had seen them operate in the past, just like this morning. The Quadong will be on the hunt for her, to put a finish on this, on her. Killing her mother was just the first step. Never mind that it also took out one of her curve-selling competitors. They liked to strike terror to the hearts of their victims by killing off their friends and family. Getting out of town at the order of the day. Once I'm out of town, all oh, this will start calming down quick. Until then, everybody I know and care for is on the hunted list. She pocketed the cameo. Touching the bone and stone bracelet Ginza had made her, she knew she'd miss the tall, felinoid Katzen they call the Rat Catcher. But this was best. Get some sleep, stupid, she thought, and curled up as best she could in the cornice, tugging the trip line on her alarm stone to make sure it was still in place. Forget about this. Tomorrow, I'll be gone. Can't be late tomorrow. Captain Blackston said, eyes narrowing through his spectacles. His voice was low and gravelly and conveyed a general distaste for the man. Name? Arn. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, sorry, sir. I ran into a bit of difficulty last eve. The Arundani man stopped him. None of my concern, soldier. I'm Captain Blackston. You're in luck we didn't leave you and post a forfeit with the guild. As it happens, we're waiting on a cargo to be loaded. The captain scratched through another name on the marker board he carried and waved Arin forward. 
Welcome aboard the Galen Duchess. Arryn traced a fancy bow to the man and shouldered his rucksack, stepping across the sidewall. The Duchess, a flat-bottomed riverboat, took up almost the entire length of the loading dock and by its draft looked to nearly be full to capacity. Clearly visible on its deck were the carts and horses of the caravan Arryn supposed he would be guarding. Searching the deck for signs of his company, he caught sight of Peter Goldpond, whom he remembered from the guild hall. Arryn made his way towards the man, picking his way carefully through the stacks of carefully balanced crates. Ale daughter, Sarge. Bright blessings on the road, Arryn said, grinning and offering his hand to the tall Yarian soldier with the tousled thatch of blonde hair. Peter shook hands with a rueful grimace. You're late. Nearly got left. The rest of the company's over there. He pointed towards the bow area, right next to the forward landing ramp. I need you to be on leg watch, though. Never know when one of the lake monsters will get a little hungry. Of course, but, uh, Sarge, I, I thought they only came out at night. Sometimes they forget what time it is. Just do it, soldier. Aye, Sarge. Arryn said, and giving him a deferential salute that clearly the rest of his manner didn't convey. Taking a seat in the bow, Arryn unlimbered his dracon pistol and laid it on his thigh, making sure the charred stone was in place and full. He allowed his gaze to sweep the river and the rest of the boat while he was at it. The one who called herself Raven perched on a tall crate towards the middle of the barge, carefully watching the dock for signs of trouble. Worry poured off the girl like the fog did the marsh. Arryn wondered who she'd managed to upset enough to justify leaving town. He made her out to be nothing more than a petty cut purse, perhaps one of Ginza's little band of sneak thieves. He'd heard her mention the rat catcher in her interview. Most of their kind didn't survive very well outside the city, They'd grown used to the relatively soft living inns and taverns provided. This one most likely wouldn't last the trip, but Arryn sympathized with her silently. He would miss the city, too, with its winsome women and stalwart men, its appreciation for the finer things, and its willingness to line his pockets with busking coin. But the road called to him for more than one reason. The stalkers who had been following him constantly since his coming of age were beginning to catch up to him, and he'd nearly avoided them several times in the last few days. Something told him they'd not followed him aboard the Galen Duchess, but he didn't want to leave that to chance. Then he thought about Corinne, his beautiful Wunjo sweetheart. He had promised her that once he had made his fortune in the city, he would return for her. He would wed her as Wunjo custom required. They would have many happy, fat babies. The Black Bear tribe would be on their northern wander this time of year, headed to the cooler climes to sell their wares and avoid the worst of the hot summer months. And it wouldn't be hard once they reached Irontown to make the return journey a search for the tribe. There was never any doubt, however. Arun would be back to Blackpool. Though his head still pounded with the hangover from the drinking and women at the house of Vash Bordello last night. The Vashti were beautiful and talented, but their wine always treated him poorly. Good show they woke me in time to catch the boat, Arryn thought. 
Arryn watched the boatmen position themselves along the dock with long river poles and realized they were nearly ready to cast off lines. They would drift across the lake until they met up with the mule team on the other side, fasten on, and be pulled up river for a bit until they ran out of the reasonably safe riverside cable. A lovely day to be going, came a young voice to his right. At first, he thought it was a woman's voice. But when the figure to his right unhooded himself, it was clear that the boy who stood there was just not yet past his telltown. Eh, I suppose, Aaron took the boy for one of the shepherds headed south once the boat had dropped off its northbound cargo. A crook in his hand still, the shepherd's crude shoes on his feet. The boy was fairly clean-looking for one from the country. Where are you from? the shepherd essayed, smiling. Everywhere, boy, and nowhere in particular, Aaron said, giving his standard answer. The Wunjo rarely revealed themselves outright, anyway. The longer he could avoid being called out as a member of that notoriously sticky-fingered brood, the better it would be as far as he was concerned. The boy nodded, taking his statement with good humor. I, too, am something of a leaf on the wind at this time. Aren't we all, really? Aaron said, muttering under his breath. You'll pardon me, Shepherd. I've got guarding work to do, Aaron said as he turned away from the boy. A team of horses pulled up with a massive work lorry, and the teamsters took to helping the boatmen load two large wagons on the riverboat, towards the middle of where a hole was obviously left for them. A stalwart-looking Sidalian driver sat the driver's seat on one of the carts, and a man who seemed to be his brother drove the other. Once the new cargo was secure, the bosun called to cast off lines, and soon the rivermen were pulling their massive flatboat out onto the smooth black surface of Blackpool Lake. Another Sidalian fellow with a team of mules and a tightly forged wire pull cable waited on the other side of the lake, and he set to waving his little red flag as soon as he saw the Duchess start moving. Captain Blackston kept a firm hand on the tiller, while the rivermen provided most of the forward motion of the boat with their long, incredibly strong, but flexible poles. Arryn scanned the water. It was flat black, completely devoid of detail, but Arryn had seen what the monsters who lived in the lake and fed off the city's waste did to folks who weren't paying attention. Though they had been trained by the watch over the years to avoid daylight, crossing the lake was never easy. Despite his concern... They reached the shallows of the lake soon enough, and the Sidalian mule teamster was soon wading out to the pull ring on the bow of the barge, affixing the strong cable with a massive woven rope hawser. Headed back to the shore, the teamster gave a cluck, and the mules, stirred from their lazy cropping of fresh spring lake greens, began to pull forward down the lakeside mule track. Not long after, with a snap and a groan, the riverboat began to move forward, towed alongside the lake and up the northern mouth of the Hollis River. Arryn's eyes drifted back to the cut purse. It wasn't until Blackpool City was over the re receding horizon to the stern of the boat that Arryn felt the raven's fears ebb and boil away. He couldn't help but feel something of the same looking back at the receding east dock thankful that none of the men with the silver tree brooches had caught him leaving. The boy with the shepherd's staff crossed to where Raven was perched. Would you like to share my kamba? the shepherd asked, holding out half of the meat pastry to Raven. 
It's still warm from the vendor. You'd share your food with me? Why? Is it bad? Raven asked, her eyes narrowing. No, nothing of the sort. It's fine. A bit chewy, but I like chewy. And I thought we'd best be getting to know each other, as we are on the journey together. Here, take it. Whatever for. We won't be going far up the river, Shepherd, and then you'll be headed south again, Raven said, taking the proffered food and tearing into it. She hated it when Genza te teased her about it, but this time she truly was ravenous. I think, uh, well, I... The boy began. Hearing their exchange, Peter approached the two, picking his way through the boxes. Ho there, Raven, Alabar. Good show, you brought your own food, Patra. We won't have time to camp till much later. Got any there for me? The shepherd, whom Peter had addressed as Alabar, laughed and pulled a big, juicy-looking apple out of his food wallet. Rosewood apple for you, he said, grinning. Peter took it with thanks, polishing it on his tunic. Ah, trying to butt up your sarge, eh? And here you said you were no veteran, Patra. Patra? This boy is a priest? Raven asked, incredulous, taking a swig of her water skin to wash the meal down. Most priests I've seen are old. Oh, as to that, um, Sergeant Goldpond was merely referring to my training. I fear I'm no priest. You one of them Aelors? came the question from Arryn as he joined the three. They heal nicely, I hear. Not hard like those sword bitches. Sorry about the brush-off I gave you, priest. I didn't know you were our healer. I, I serve the light... However it may fall upon us, Alabar said, tearing off another piece of his comba pie to offer to Arryn, who accepted it with thanks. But I never received my collar. If you must, you may call me Brother Alabar. But to most, I'm just Alabar. Better that way, really, Peter said. You don't have a bishop to report to, which brings you up our way, a spell. Yes, I do wonder to spread the word of the light's blessing. There are many in Irontown who'd not had the succor of the light in an age. Whatever brings you, we're glad to have you, brother. Now, let's get back to guarding, folks. It's quiet ashore, yeah, but that don't mean some nail tongue or bandit might take a liking to this fat barge full of easy booty. Get to it. Break's over. And yet, despite their watch, none of them saw the man sitting in his horse in the deep trees, high off the river bank. None of them saw him hold up his arm and set free his messenger bird, either. When the bird soared over them, it was just another river hawk, and by the time it turned north, it was out of sight. You've been listening to Heart of the Hunter, a Coronai Chronicles story on the Bears Grove Bardic Circle podcast. The Bears Grove Bardic Circle is brought to you by the Fireheart Foundry family of podcasts. Fireheart Foundry also produces The Bears Grove, Dragon Ken, the podcast for kids and gaming, The Square One Podcast, and Vibrant Living. Find out more about Fireheart Foundry at fireheartfoundry.com. This podcast is brought to you under a Creative Commons attribution. No derivatives, 
No commercial use. License 2.5. Music today was provided by the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. The songs were Green Druid by Dignity, Crossroads by Lidner, Krakatoa by Clouseau, and Kiss of Passion by Brian Drota. Links to these songs and their creators will be provided in the show notes. Thank you for listening to the Bears Grove Party Circle, and hope you come back to our fire very soon.